Good morning. The last time that I saw many of you was a couple of weeks ago at the beautiful reception in Knox Commons that uh, the congregation held for uh, Anna and me and our boys Charlie and Mac in celebration of our wedding. And I simply wanted to say a moment, uh, take a moment to say thank you so very much for that uh, beautiful celebration and opportunity for them to get to know all of you a little bit better and for you to get to know them. Uh, thank you for the wonderful gift you gave us as a congregation that will allow us to spend some important and fun family time together. And most of all, thank you for your continued uh, warm and gracious welcome of Anna and Charlie and Mac into my life and the life of our congregation. We are grateful. Uh, this week marks the first Sunday in the season of Lent the 40 days before Easter, and we began that 40 days this past Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And on every Sunday in Lent, and concluding with the service on the night of Maundy Thursday, we will hear one of what scripture and tradition knows as the seven last words of Jesus Christ, words that Jesus spoke from the cross. This series of texts is often read entirely on Good Friday. And so in a way, we're fast-forwarding to those last three days before Easter. And at the same time, starting early like this gives us an opportunity to think about the meaning of these words that Jesus says on the cross for a series of weeks rather than just a few hours. I think you'll find that the, word Jesus, the words that Jesus speaks are representative not just of his last day, but of his entire ministry. We heard the first word in this morning's reading, and we will consider it today in the sermon. Those words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let us pray. Open our hearts, O oh God, to your truth. Open us to the words you are speaking. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight, for you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Finally, they tracked him down. The man who had quietly performed a heroic deed on a train platform and then disappeared. With the train just a short way from the stop and coming in fast, a man on the platform suddenly collapsed and fell onto the track. The hero, a 59-year-old man, showing the strength that only comes from a lifetime of hard work, climbed quickly down onto the track, hoisted the man up to the height of his own shoulders, and set him back on the platform, jumping back up himself with only seconds to spare. By the time the paramedics got to work on the collapsed man, the hero was gone. But they tracked him down, the man who had collapsed and his family they did. They found the address of the hero. And knowing that he did not wish to be found, they simply sent him a letter and a picture. The picture was of three children, 
the oldest a teenager and the other two around eight or nine. They were sort of lying about in a pile, each with a water pistol, and apparently laughing until they were practically screaming. Behind them stood a blonde woman of about 45 with a wide grin and her arms stretched out like a large bird of prey and an overflowing plastic bucket in each hand. At the bottom of the pile lay the man who had collapsed on the train platform, wearing a blue polo shirt and trying in vain to shield himself from the downpour. The letter explained that his fall had been the result of some complicated brain disease. If they hadn't discovered it in the accident that day and hadn't started treating it when they did, it would have claimed his life within a few years. So in a way, the life in that picture had been saved twice over. That story comes from a novel by the Swedish author Frederick Bachman. The title is A Man Called Uwe. And the book jacket summarizes it in this way. At first sight, Uwe is almost certainly the grumpiest man you will ever meet. A curmudgeon with staunch principles, strict routines, and a short fuse. People think him bitter and he thinks himself surrounded by idiots. The book begins with a charming review of Uwe's daily routine. He begins each day by patrolling his neighborhood for criminal activity, even though none exists, and recording the license plate numbers of every car that is parked in the reserved parking area. Uwe has active feuds with every member of the Neighborhood Association, even though he is no longer a member of it. Uwe does not understand how you can reason with anyone who doesn't drive a sob. Uwe is the hero in the story about the train. And he lives a life that is full of countless acts of quiet compassion and kindness, even though you would never know it to speak to him. As the book unfolds, we learn about Uwe's life. We learn of his early loss of his mother and then his father. We learn of his highly principled and trusting financial decisions that twice led him into ruin. We learn of his brave decision in young adulthood to fall in love with a wonderful woman and let her into his heart. And of his grief and helplessness when she first suffers a terrible accident and then is taken from him by cancer. In the midst of Uwe's deep grief and loss, a young mother moves in across the street with her family, a woman who is a little more perceptive and patient than the rest of us, and she does the work of slowly opening Uwe's heart. And she helps him and those around him 
rediscover that though he has his flaws, Uwe is a deeply generous and kind man. She slowly peels back the layers of pain and sadness that have surrounded his heart. She allows people to discover about him, and she allows Uwe to rediscover about himself that he is not just a curmudgeon, he is a beautiful human being. The beauty of this novel is that it gently reveals to the reader the ignorant conclusions that all of us draw, not only about curmudgeons we may know, but about all kinds of people we meet every day. Sure, there are jerks out there, but most folks really do have good intentions and are trying to do their best. It's just that every one of us carries grief and pain unresolved baggage from our lives. And sometimes it causes us to be much more suspicious or protective or just anxious than we need to be toward other people. When we work to overcome these blind spots, we become closer to one another and closer to the people God created us to be. Jesus seems to understand well the sadness and innocence of our human misjudgments. Even when he is at death's door, hanging on the cross, enduring pain and abuse that he does not deserve, Jesus is gracious enough to look at the people around him, the ones who have agreed to his suffering. And he prays to God on their behalf, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That phrase is the first of seven last words from the cross we'll be thinking about in these days of Lent. With all of the commonly held notions out there about Lent, about giving up drinking or chocolate or four-letter words, sometimes one gets the idea that Lent is a season of guilt, a time to dwell on the shortcomings of our lives that we already know way too much about. And yet this word from the cross reminds us of a much different idea. For many of us, sin the things that separate us most from God and from one another, sin quite often takes the form of the broken relationships that happen not out of intention, but out of ignorance, almost by accident. We see it in interactions with people like Uwe, the grumpy neighbor or coworker we have decided is our enemy because we did not realize he was hurting so deeply. We see it in judgments we make about people who suffer visibly before us. The homeless person on the corner who has PTSD from heroic military service and following an honorable discharge just hasn't been able to manage life as a civilian. 
We commit accidental sins of ignorance even toward our spouse or our siblings or a parent or child. We just haven't worked hard enough to understand. We don't sin against these people intentionally. We find ourselves separated from them because of things that we just don't understand. Often when we treat people the worst and feel the most rotten about it afterwards, it wasn't because they deserved it or because we wanted it that way. It was just out of our ignorance and the misunderstandings that arise between human people. Jesus knew that he was misunderstood by those who stood at the foot of the cross and watched him dying. He knew that many of them did not know him as a great healer, a wise teacher, certainly not the Son of God. No, to them, he was just a common criminal. Both the civil and the religious authorities had labeled him as a menace to society. So they went along with popular opinion, those people at the foot of the cross, and out of their ignorance, they allowed his death. All because he spent a bit too much time challenging the status quo of those authorities and talking a little too much about acceptance and grace and love. Importantly, Lent does not begin with this moment of Jesus on the cross, but with a much different story. At the beginning of this 40-day season leading up to Easter, we often tell a story of Jesus from much earlier days. Before his ministry begins, one of the first stories of Jesus' life is how he spent 40 days alone in the desert Days of prayer and fasting, during which he prepared his heart and mind for the rigors that were ahead. In Jesus' life, people were going to meet him with anger and suspicion. On the best days, they would laugh at him for being naive. On the worst ones, they would sentence him to death for crimes he did not commit. Only because of his intense and constant life of reflection and preparation could he meet these misguided adversaries and refuse to treat them as enemies. Only because of his preparations could he look down from the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. All of this seems worth talking about if you want to cultivate an awareness of the uves in your life. The people who really need care and compassion and support, but who may not know how to ask for it. You may even need to discover that in some small way you have become an uve that your unresolved baggage has turned you inward, made you suspicious, buried your finest gifts beneath a thick layer of anger or sadness or fear. 
Well, in order to come to terms with challenges such as these, we all need our own times of preparation. And that is the essence of Lent. Lent is a season each year during which we are reminded through our own prayer or fasting or whatever disciplines you may choose that if we choose to prepare ourselves, God may give us a tremendous gift in these 40 days. God may be seeking to open our hearts in a way we do not expect if only we are open to receiving that gift. This morning we begin our Lent together at the communion table. And as you hear the music, as you pray, as you receive the bread and the cup, consider today what else God might be wanting for you to receive in these 40 days. Perhaps for someone in your life, or even for yourself, God is seeking to open your heart and your life. Perhaps through this season of preparation, you may learn again, or learn anew, the meaning of forgiveness and grace and love.